everything that moves. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. Welcome into the Week 17 edition of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and yes, it is the final week of the regular season. As you know, the Eagles have been eliminated from playoff contention. The season is over, but fear not. NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell is joining me as always. We're going to talk about the Eagles kind of like in a season-reflective stance, look back, see what, you know, what went right, what went wrong, and how this team can take the next step, get to the next level. Later on, NFL Film or uh, NFL draft insider tony pauline will be joining me we'll talk about college football the latest goings on around the nfl draft and look this won't be the last podcast we will be back later on in the spring i've got a lot of stuff coming for you guys it'll be very uh very football x's and o's intensive so look for that later on this spring but lest we forget greg cosell nfl films greg thanks for joining me this week obviously it's a short week because of the holiday for everybody but let's just jump in here Obviously, Saturday's loss was disappointing, but looking back on this season and you look at this passing game, what are some of the the concepts that you saw that were really prevalent, regardless of who was under center for the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, you know, it's funny because you talk to a lot of defensive coaches and they'll tell you that this is a very difficult def- uh, offense to defend. And it, it starts with the speed tempo. I think it, it, it starts with the fact that they have a multiple screen game. And these are just the elements of the offense. We know that uh, the offense every week isn't necessarily doing everything we're talking about, but they have a multiple screen game with backs, with wide receivers. Uh, they run it to different parts of the field, sh- short side, wide side. So they're a team in which all five eligible receivers can be part of the screen game. So it's it's very diverse, very multiple. Um, I think they do a lot with, with route concepts. And we saw the three-level stretch concept quite a bit this year, which is also a really good NFL concept that a lot of teams use. And what I like about the way the Eagles do it is very often the, the intermediate route may come from the other side of the field as the sh- short and the vertical route. So the three-level stretch concept is prevalent. And then we also saw a ton of the boot action. And uh, we certainly saw a little more of that with Mark Sanchez. But uh, the boot action pass game, very difficult to defend. And it, it's really uh, just part of Chip Kelly's philosophy because it, it really includes stretching the field horizontally and, and, and stretching the perimeter. And, it, and you create a lot of balance and spacing issues for defenses when you do that. And I think we saw that a lot this year, and we saw a lot of it be successful. Yeah, no question about it. It'll be interesting to see moving forward. Obviously, Mark, Mark Sanchez is a free agent. We'll have Nick Foles coming off uh, this injury that will keep him out of this Sunday's game against the New York Giants. But regardless of who was under center, and you mentioned it, look, we, we saw a, a mix of you know some of the quick game concepts, whether it was you know the three-man snag route and double slant and all the different screen games, the mesh concept underneath. And then you have the vertical shot plays as well, You know the three-level stretch and double post. We saw the switch concept. Yep. Uh, you know, they got Zach Ertz that touchdown against Seattle. Battle and you know just they've they attacked the defense in a multitude of ways it'll be really interesting to see look if they can get the run game going and that's a big part of it too you get the run game going they definitely run to set up the pass yeah and I think that's a critical uh, offseason uh, pr- prerogative as it were is the run game has to be more consistent as it was last year and I think they'll work on that because I think when you really look at, at Chip Kelly's offense 
through the years, um, it, it does start with the run game, and it starts with the inside zone. Now, to Chip's credit, they've expanded the run game in the NFL because it's the NFL, and I think you need to do more things, and, and Chip knows that. And I think we saw an expansion of the run game as well this year in terms of concepts. It wasn't as successful as we all would have liked it to be, obviously, Fran, but we definitely saw an expansion of concepts, and I think you'll continue to see that. Yeah, I mean, even this week against Washington, even though, you know, obviously the, the, the flow of the game kind of dictated how often they could run it, but we saw power. <clears throat> yeah. We saw power a handful of times uh, against the Washington Redskins. And obviously, look, like I said, the, the game flow dictated they couldn't run it as, as often. But, you know, we've seen sweep. We've seen this inside zone counter. We've seen the you know inside zone, outside zone, all the different zone read concepts, all these different things. Uh, really, you know, obviously you're focusing on uh, up front athleticism, getting those linemen out on the move. Yeah, and obviously uh, they do have an athletic O-line. It'll be interesting to see as, as we go forward. Some of these guys are getting a little older. Hopefully they're back healthy next year. Uh, and, and all, you know, obviously when your, your offense is built a certain way and your offensive linemen have certain demands placed on them, as in this offense where they need to be athletic and movement players, uh, when you do have injuries, sometimes it just the guys you replace them with, the next man up philosophy, they're not the same player. So uh, we'll see what they do offensive line-wise. Hopefully Peters is back and healthy. Mathis, uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Todd Harriman's uh, Healthy Kelsey, he's obviously the perfect center for this offense. So there, there's pieces in place to be a more consistent run game. On the defensive side, I mean, I, this is clearly the strength of the team is this defensive front, whether it's Fletcher Cox, uh, who I can't believe did not make the Pro Bowl, uh, but Fletcher Cox, Sed Thornton, Benny Logan, Vinnie Curry, uh, all these guys just playing at a really high level up front. You know, I think you're pretty much set at that position. You've got Taylor Hart, who didn't play a snap this year, who you know I think both of us really, really liked coming in. Obviously, the staff liked him. Uh, Two gappers, athletic, really long arms, guys that really can hold up at the point of attack and really played at a high level all season long. You know, it's funny you mentioned Fletcher Cox, and, and that is, is one of the great injustices. Uh, and I forget how the Pro Bowl voting is done, I guess. Isn't it one-third players, one-third media, one-third fans? Is that the way it's done now? Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I know definitely the, the player vote gets factored in at the last second. I'm not sure exactly. But the fact that he was a sixth alternate, I mean, it's it's crazy. Well, you know what I do, Fran, and I sit and watch tape of every team you know, every week. Do I see all 16 games of every team? No, it's not humanly possible. But I see enough of every team in the league. And I would say over the last two, two-and-a-half months, and I know I've said this before, and I'll say it again because it's worth repeating, that as a 3-4-D end, in my opinion, I, I think only J.J. Watt was a better player than Fletcher Cox over the last two, two and a half months. Yeah, I would agree. And that's the obviously I'm not watching every team like you do every week, but uh, just from, from the teams that I watched as you know preparing for the, uh, the Eagles opponents all season long, other than Watt, I don't know that there was a defensive lineman that was playing at a higher level than Fletcher Cox has been over the last couple of months. Uh, but moving in, you know, to the outside, those pass rushers, obviously they got a lot of production from Connor Barwin. Uh, Trent Cole was his usual self. Brandon Graham played probably the best football of his career. But you're looking for those guys who can rush the quarterback, set the edge, and drop into coverage. They had three guys that played, you know, did it at a very high level this year. You've got Marcus Smith, obviously, who didn't you know, play much at all this season uh, and had a very limited stat line, a guy that you're looking to groom for the future. Yeah, the front seven's clearly the, the – uh 
strength of this team. Uh, to me, from film study, I don't know how you feel. I would say overall that Cox and Michael Kendricks were their two best defensive players, and Kendricks did miss, I think, four or five games uh, with injury. But I think those two guys were really, really good this year. Um, you know, and as we know, you look at the back end, and then, then you also get into concepts and how they choose to play. They play a lot of single high. They play a lot of man coverage, and if they're going to continue to do that, uh, whether it's the same players or different players, I, I think we'd probably both agree that the production on the back end needs to be better. Yeah, I mean, look, they brought in Malcolm Jenkins this year, and he was obviously a, a great signing. I thought he was a great fit in this defensive scheme. I think that getting some other guys in here that – can play or just you know continuing to coach up the guys that are here already but you really you're going to rely on them uh to play on an island you know sometimes and look you're not going to give them help every single play man in man out and you're not going to leave them on an island all 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 day long either like you would with Darrell Revis but uh you know obviously looking for those press man corners those bigger longer guys who can get up in the line of scrimmage that's the, that's in vogue now in the NFL around around the league uh and guys that can turn and run with receivers down the field yeah, and and we and it's it's clear through the first two years that what Bill Davis likes to do, he's a schemer and he's very very good at it. So he likes to scheme pressure. And normally, it's nothing's a hundred percent as we know. But normally, if you're going to bring a fifth guy and sometimes even a sixth guy, depending on on your approach, uh, normally in these situations you end up playing with a single high safety. And whether you want to call it man to man on the outside or cover three, it doesn't matter. The reality is outside the number routes uh, end up being man-to-man for the corner, whether you're in true man or cover three. So if that's the way they choose to play, then they're going to end up playing a lot of man-to-man on the outside. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that whole situation unfolds throughout the offseason. We've got, uh, I guess, eight months and counting now until uh, we get the answers to some of these questions. But Greg Cosell, I appreciate the time all season long of joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Have a great holiday. We'll talk to you soon. Fran, I really appreciate it. Thanks. You too. Joining us now in the final regular season edition of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, my good friend from DraftInsider.net, Tony Pauline. Tony, we're a couple weeks away here from the East-West Shrine game. Unfortunately, with the Eagles' playoff status now cemented, we'll be out of the playoffs. Bo Wolf and I will be joining you down in St. Petersburg. We'll see you in a couple weeks here. That's unfortunate. That's always a fun trip. I mean, St. Petersburg in the middle of January, we always have good weather. It's sunny, and you get, you know, you do get to see some good football. I mean, uh, that's where Jimmy Garoppolo well, started his rise or his his ascent up draft boards a year ago. So, uh, and the year before that, it was the Arkansas uh, Pine Bluff uh, offensive tackle who played well. So, it's a good game, and I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys and working with the PhiladelphiaEagles.com as well. Yeah, no question about it. And it's uh, it's always a good trip, but you know. Would have rather liked to uh, been in the playoffs, but that's that's another story. Uh, let's let's move along here. The uh, breaking news time of the year, I guess, for for the NFL draft purposes, is really it's, it's starting to kick into full gear right now. A lot of the uh, the juniors are starting to make their intentions known, whether or not they're going to they're going to declare or stay in school. There's already been a number of announcements. The first one's a guy we've actually talked about. Jalen Strong, the wide receiver from Arizona State, he declared for the draft. We've talked about him in the past. There's another Jalen I wanted to bring up, though. That's Jalen Collins, the cornerback from LSU, 6'2", 205. What have scouts said about this kid Collins? You know, there's a variety of opinion, and really the easiest comparison to draw to is his former teammate Farrell that's Harold with a T, Farrell Simon, who entered as, uh, as an underclassman a couple years ago, who just was a physical monster. I mean, had great size. Right in the four fours, 
but was very undeveloped and inconsistent on the field. You talk to scouts, and even if you watch the game film, I mean, he makes some amazing plays and he makes some head-scratching uh, decisions. Uh, he's a guy who I felt that if he had stayed and, and honed his game and really developed and progressed on the field, he's second-round talent. That being the case, I, I think the inconsistency really makes him more of a, a late-round pick. But it's not a, it's not a, a deep quarterback class at all. So somebody may take a liking to him and take him in the middle rounds. Uh, you know, he's got great upside potential, but he's a long way really from being NFL ready. And to give uh, listeners some perspective, Tharold Simon, I believe he ended up going in the fourth or fifth round to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, was a late-round addition for them. And now he's the, he's the next corner up off the bench behind Byron Maxwell. And I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the starting corner opposite Richard Sherman next year at this time. So, uh, Simon. in the same, same situation with Combs. I mean, he's got the physical skills. As, as, that's why I brought up the comparison. I mean, I believe Simon was a fifth-round pick, and it was just a matter of, you were going to have to develop him down the road. And that's the same thing with Collins. Great upside potential, a lot of untapped ability that has to be met. Just a question of, you know, where, how early in the draft do you risk a pick on him, hoping that you can develop him as a player. All right, Tony. Well, another junior who has made his intentions known for the draft, Boise State running back Jay Ajayi, six foot two fifteen. Plays in another one of these running backs who plays in a spread offense. Was pretty impressive when I've watched him. What have you heard on this kid? Yeah, scouts love him. I think he's a guy who is really underrated on the outside from people who you know who rank the draft Knicks, whatever whatever you like to term you like to use. But he's a guy who I think is going to surprise and go earlier than most expect on draft day. Top half of uh, the second round, maybe slides into the late first round. He's a better prospect than Doug Martin, who was a first rounder. You know, he plays in the spread offense, but he's a big body ball carrier. He can grind it out on the inside. He can pound it on the inside, pick up the difficult yardage. But he's also got the quickness and agility to turn the corner. Terrific pass catcher. Uh, even before the season started, scouts were saying they love this guy. They love the total package. And he just impressed them with, I think, play that went beyond expectation during the 2014 campaign. So really a good back. I think the fact that you've got the Melvin Gordons, you got the girlies in in this year's draft, even with the with the injury, or likely the girls with the injury, uh, is something that's really going to make Ajaye go later than he usually should. Another guy who is probably going to enter the draft. He hasn't made it official yet, but if you believe all the reports, he will be uh, selected in April. That's Alabama safety Landon Collins. You know, one of these highly regarded defensive backs again, coming from the Crimson Tide under Nick Saban. Now, my my question for you. Obviously, there's a lot of work that teams have to do on this whole class. But in, in your mind right now, and where Collins will get drafted, is he, is he going to be a top 10 pick, say like Mark Barron was of the Tampa Bay Bucks a couple years ago? Or is he more like a ha-ha Clinton Dix where he could be in the 20 range uh, when it comes to be draft day in April? I think it's going to be the latter. I, I think that you know Alabama defensive backs, while they're terrific on the college level, they're not getting a good rap for being a pros at the next level. You know, you look at D. Milliner, you, you, you mentioned Barron. A lot of these guys come in with high expectations, yet just don't meet them. They're good players, but not great players. You know, they're first-round worthy, but they're worthy in the late part of round, uh, round one. And I think I see a lot of that with, uh, with Collins' play on the field. I mean, he makes some incredibly athletic plays, but he's not the forceful type of game-impacting safety on an every-down basis that you really want in a player that you're going to take in the first 10 or 12 selections. 
Another guy that tore up the SEC two years ago in 2013. I guess it was last fall at this time. Out down in Missouri, Doriel Green Beckham. He's a big Calvin Johnson, A.J. Green clone. One of these big, long, lanky receivers that can beat you vertically. He was a weapon in the red zone. Obviously had some off-the-field issues. Ended up at Oklahoma. And now it's kind of, I think he's kind of the wild, wild card of this draft right now. No one knows whether he's going to stay at Oklahoma and try and play it out there with the Sooners or if he's going to declare for the draft. Have you heard anything on his status? I've not heard anything, but I would be surprised if he enters the draft. And I think it's a huge mistake. I mean, uh, had off the field issues with the, with the domestic abuse type of charge. Didn't play last year because of the transfer rules. I mean, so you're getting a guy who didn't see the field and, and you know he's got a strike against them. It's something that is really hands off in the NFL right now. Uh, I, I think it's best for him if, if for Beckham if he goes back to Oklahoma, gets another year under his belt proves that he's matured as a person off the field, and then looks forward to the 2016 draft rather than 2015. Two big-time juniors face off on Saturday at the Holiday Bowl, USC versus Nebraska, probably the two best front seven players in this entire draft. I don't think that's uh, too overboard to say that. You've got Leonard Williams of USC and Randy Gregory from Nebraska. Who's got the most to gain on Saturday when these two teams face off? Well, I'm going to say Gregory because, you know, the hole in Gregory's game is his run-stuffing, run-defending ability. Teams run at him and he struggles. USC has an excellent running game. Their junior running back is likely to enter the draft. Uh, so this is, and they usually have a solid offensive line. So Gregory needs to step up in the play. We all know he's a great pass rusher. He's a natural pass rusher. He's a freak of an athlete. He makes a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. But can he hold his ground at the line of scrimmage against the run? And I think against that USC a run game. Gregory's got to prove that he has that ability, which will only enhance his draft st uh, stock. It's going to be a good, good, good game for uh, uh, an important contest for Leonard Williams as well, going against Amir Abdullah, you know, who's a quick, uh, elusive, uh, creative back who can, you know, turn the corner. And you watch Leonard Williams; he's a guy who makes a lot of plays in pursuit, not just up the field, but he can turn left or right and get out to the sidelines and make plays. Against that Nebraska running game against Abdullah, you know, that's going to be something that he shows. You know, it's not only the slower guys that he can catch, but it's those quick, speedy backs that he can run, run down a backside pursuit. Yeah, that's a good point. You've got two backs in that game. You've got Abdullah and as well as uh, Buck Allen, a guy we've talked about in the past. Let's jump ahead to the Senior Bowl here. Obviously, it's a few weeks down the road. They've made another 11 announcements this week as far as, far as confirmed attendees. Three of them came from the Florida State O-line. You remember a year ago, we were talking about the Tennessee offensive line and all the guys they had at Combine. Well, Florida State's going to have three guys from that offensive front down in Mobile. You've got Cameron Irving, who was the left tackle for three years and transitioned to the center position mid-year this year because they had so many issues inside. You have Josu Matias, a local guy, Union City, New Jersey. And Trey Jackson who was really highly decorated coming into the year. You know, all three of the guys, these guys struggled a little bit, but who do you think has stood out the most? Who stands most to gain, really, going down to Mobile? Well, who stands most to gain, I think, will be Cameron Irving because he's not only going to play center. I'm, I'm sure they're going to kick him back out to left tackle. And if he does well at left tackle, that's the priority position. That's the position where, you know, guys go in the top half of round one. I'm not saying Irving's going to go top half of round one, but if he plays well at the left tackle spot, that's really going to enhance his draft stock because that's the priority position. That is the position that GMs look for going into the draft. So if he shows he can do both and really did not play all that well at the beginning of the year at left tackle this year, really got taken to school by Vic Beasley in that Clemson game. 
was back on his heels, uh, seemed to struggle. Although he's, he's still learning the offensive line position. He played on the defensive uh, side of the ball for a couple of years. So I think Irving has, uh, has got a lot to gain. The other two guys do as well. I mean, uh, Matthias as well as uh, Trey Jackson. I mean, these guys have not lived up to expectations. Uh, the offensive line was one of the problems that Florida State had. It's good to see that they're going to the senior bowl and they're going to participate because they have a lot more to gain there than if they just sat on the sidelines where people are going to look at the film, which was underachieving in 2014. Tony, there's a, there's been one report, and obviously these, these kind of things happen all year or every year, and it, typically those announcements come as we get closer to the game. But there have been reports out there that Louisville wide receiver Devontae Parker is going to bow out of the senior ball already, isn't going to accept the invite. What, what does it mean for Parker, a guy that missed a good good chunk of the uh, the season already? He had an injury in training camp and missed the first few weeks of the season, and now he's not going to have the opportunity to showcase his talents down in Mobile. Do you think it's the right move for him? Well, he's going to have the opportunity, but he's going to bypass the opportunity. That's the problem. I think Parker's making a big mistake, and here's why. It's not a strong receiver class. I mean, he came back, and really from that Florida State game on, he proved that, you know, he is one of the, if not the top senior receiver uh, in the nation. I think if he goes to the senior bowl, it's an opportunity for him basically to show in those one-on-one drills that, you know, we brought, you broadcast the PhiladelphiaEagles.com and we try and break down that he's got that second gear that, or he's got that speed, he can stretch it deep. Maybe he, that's why he's not going. I mean, sometimes players don't go to the senior bowl because they want to hide issues or problems in their game and they're, they're afraid of that. Maybe he doesn't want to go because he's concerned – in those one-on-one drills, he's not going to be able to show any sort of vertical speed, which will raise a red flag. Uh, I'd like to see him go. I, I guess maybe his people or his thinking is right now it's going to come down to the combine for him or his pro day. The faster he runs, the earlier he's going to go. Yeah, that just occurred to me when you mentioned the Florida State O-line uh, jumping in and how it was good for them for accepting those invites. It occurred, especially with Kevin White, the other top senior receiver, he already accepted his invitation, so you would think that would be a good opportunity for him to try and promote, you know, promote himself over Kevin White. Uh, but really, before we wrap this up, Tony, every week I ask you about some breaking news, anything that's really coming down the wire over the next few days. I know you've got one thing, some, uh, some rumors coming out from out west in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting situation, and maybe Eagle fans want to keep an eye on it. Uh, sort of a, a contrary type of situation, what's going on with uh, Marcus Peters, the cornerback who was dismissed from the program earlier this year, and Danny Shelton, the defensive tackle. I mean, coming into the season, everyone liked Danny Shelton, but there were some off-the-field questions. Shelton's played like a beast this year. He's been uh, basically an unstoppable force. And on top of that, the new uh, coaching staff at Washington, Chris Peterson, has been giving – NFL scouts and anyone who's talked to him rave reviews about Danny Shelton, about his off-the-field issues, about how he's, he's maturing as a person. I mean, he's first-round talent on the field. I was told that when you watch Danny Shelton play, I mean, he's athletic, he's active, he's agile, he makes plays behind the line of scrimmage, he can change direction and get outside uh, the box and make plays in pursuit. And I was told he was playing over 330 pounds when he was doing that, which is really a, a, another feather in his cap. But... There were off-the-field issues. I'm told that Chris Peterson is really sticking up for this guy and telling anyone who will listen, he's growing up, he's maturing as a person. It's basically all coming together for him. Not the situation with Marcus Peters, another guy who, like Shelton, has first-round playing skills. I mean, this is a, a well-sized quarterback with shutdown skills. Uh, he's physical, he's aggressive, he's cocky, as you need to be uh, out there on the island. But from a personality point of view, I hear the word is not good, in fact, 
Uh, the reasons that he was dismissed from the program are just the tip of the iceberg. And here's a guy who, if the Eagles go quarterback, probably gonna, he's going to fall out of the first round. So if he's still there somewhere in the middle of round two, I think the Eagles and the fan, the Eagles will have to weigh, you know, the talent versus the off the field issues. Are we are we going to be able to manage Marcus Peters as a person to get him to play up to his ability on the field? Interesting dynamic, you know. You had, like I said, Shelton coming into the season with all the off the field issues. He's turned that around. Peters really has has fallen or is quickly falling because of they just don't think he's a very good person. Tony, I know you've got another bit of info, this time from the Big Ten, uh, out really close to Philadelphia, out of Rutgers. Yeah, Tyler Croft, and this has been written about, where's Tyler Croft going to enter the draft? Uh, he did not have a good year, 23 receptions for 247 yards, not a single touchdown catch. His production this year was almost half of what it was a year ago. So you're wondering, why would a guy like that enter the draft? I'm told that he's just not happy at Rutgers. He just he feels that the offense is not a good fit for him. It's not really going to develop him as a tight end for the next level. Think of the receivers who come out of Georgia Tech and come out early. Why do they come out early? Because they feel that that Georgia Tech offense is just not going to develop their skills at the receiver position. Tyler Croft, from what I'm hearing, is feeling the same things at Rutgers. He's not really going to continue to develop uh, for the next level. So I'm hearing one of two things. He may enter the draft. He may even consider to transfer. I had heard that about three weeks ago. Just a matter of if he wants to transfer, this Kyle Flood, the Rutgers coach, released him from his, uh, his scholarship. So they play in the bowl game, I believe it's the day after uh, Christmas against North Carolina. Croft in a year that's not really strong at tight end. That's a name to watch. I, even if he does enter the draft, I don't think he's anything other than a late-round pick based on the production, based on the lack of consistency. But, you know, as we talked about with, say, Jalen Collins, the quarterback, Croft is a guy who's got a lot of great physical skills, got a lot of great upside potential down the road. It's just a matter of putting it all together. So that'll be an interesting decision to watch in the coming days. Yeah, Croft will be a really interesting guy, a guy that I watched in the offseason as a sophomore. Kind of reminded me of Zach Ertz just because of his length and his, you know, really his fluid movement skills in the open field. Really will be an intriguing situation to keep an eye on. Uh, a guy, actually, he's a local guy. He's from Downingtown, PA, right outside Philadelphia. So a uh, very interesting situation. Tony Pauline, appreciate you joining me once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll see you in a couple weeks, and happy holidays. Yeah, thank you, and uh, Merry Christmas, and happy holidays to all the listeners, as well as yourself. All right, so that'll do it, the final regular season episode of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. It's been a crazy season. Obviously, it didn't end the way that the Eagles fans would have liked. But, look, we've got a lot of stuff coming in the offseason, a lot of plans on this podcast and on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So make sure you keep tuning in to PhiladelphiaEagles.com as we prepare you for the 2015 season starting up next July in training camp. Seems like forever away, but it'll be here before we even know it. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. Have a great holiday. Everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown.